Merry Christmas. Welcome. Thank you for joining us to celebrate Christmas here at Edgewater, especially for those of you who might be visiting us. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Jake. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and tonight's service is going to be fairly simple. It's going to be fairly short. Um, but we're going to go through uh, Matthew's account of the birth of Christ. And Matthew kind of goes through five different scenes in Christ's birth. And in each scene, he says uh, something along the lines of, all this happened in order to fulfill the word of the prophet. Um, and so we'll be looking at both the Old Testament prophecies and the fulfillment uh, that Jesus is in that in Matthew. Let me pray before we get started. Father, we thank you uh, for the gift of your son. I uh, thank you that we're able to come here this evening uh, and celebrate that. I pray that uh, this would be a time for us to focus on Christ uh, this evening as we look forward to the morning uh, when we celebrate Christmas and all of the other things that come with that uh, and the chaos and the hecticness that can come with it. Um, but tonight, uh, we just come to celebrate, to rejoice, and to worship your son coming and taking on humanity so that you can take on our sin and bring about forgiveness and eternal life for us. Pray this in his name. Amen. God had created a paradise. After each day of creation, he declared that it was good. And after he created man and woman, the crown jewel of creation, creatures that were made in his own image, he declared that they were very good. It was paradise. But it wasn't paradise because they had all of their needs provided for. It wasn't paradise because there was no pain or sorrow or sadness. Those were the effects of it being paradise, but that wasn't what caused it. What made it paradise was that God walked with them there. God would come down in the cool of the day and walk with Adam and Eve. God, glorious, unapproachable, would come down to be with his creation. That was what made it paradise. Then the serpent came and tempted Eve. And Eve began to doubt God's goodness and his trustworthiness. Does God really have my best interests in mind? Is he holding out on me? There's something I can tell. There's something out there that I don't have. What if I just step up and take it? What if he's not the one calling all the shots anymore? Why shouldn't I take what I want? Will I really die? God had warned Adam and Eve that they could eat from any tree of the garden, but not to eat from the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He warned them that the day 
you eat of it will be the day of your death. But the serpent lied, you will not surely die. His lies took root in their hearts. They took the fruit and they ate it. And this is what happens next in Genesis 3, verses 7 to 15. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He, God, said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman you gave me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree. And I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me. And I ate it. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. All hope wasn't lost that day. Yes, they were cut off from God, cut off from life himself. Yes, they had been corrupted by sin. Every part of them had become tainted and rotten from it. Yes, they'd been kicked out of the garden. Yes, their bodies would die soon. But all hope wasn't lost. Because in the heart of that rebuke and that judgment was the promise of salvation. God promised a child is coming. A child who is going to undo everything that has been done today. Where there is now sin, there will be righteousness and justice. Where there is sorrow, there will be joy. Where there is death, there will be everlasting life. But it's going to cost him. He's going to be victorious. But he's going to die too. He will crush the head of the serpent, but the serpent will bite him, and he will die. But he will be victorious. Trust me. And so God's people trusted, and they waited. They waited for millennia as God continued to unfold the promises of this coming child who would save them from their sins. This evening we're going to see that Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise that God made to Adam and Eve in the garden and the fulfillment of every promise he made to his people. We're going to sing O Holy Night in just a second and then after that we're going to have a series of people come up. Like I said they're going to read from the Old Testament the prophecy and then read the fulfillment of uh, that Jesus completes in Matthew. And then the person will light a 
Advent candle, and we'll sing another song in response to that. At the end, you should have uh, got a candle as you walked in. Um, we're going to end the night with Silent Night, and we'll light the candles as we sing that, and then we'll go out from there. Let me pray one more time. Father, <clears throat> as we prepare to hear from your word, I just pray that you would prepare our hearts for it. Um, you have said that your word does not go out without accomplishing its purposes. Um, and so I just pray that tonight, as we are saturated with your word, that it would soften our hearts, that it would grow the harvest of your salvation in all of us. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand as we sing?
Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not, until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus.
Micah 5, 2 through 5. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Matthew 2, 1-12 Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way.
Hosea 11.1. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Matthew 2.13-15. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. 15. And remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Would you stand as we sing joy to the world? comforted for her children because they are no more. Matthew 2, 16-18. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise man, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region who were two years old or under, according to what time that he had ascertained from the wise man. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they were or they are no more.
Matthew 2, 19 to 23. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that, was, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. You may have noticed something different about that last scene. I didn't read an accompanying Old Testament prophecy, did I? The reason that I didn't read one is because there is no specific prophecy saying that Jesus would be called a Nazarene. So what's going on there? Is Matthew wrong? Was he misinformed? No, I think what Matthew is doing is using Nazarene as kind of a play on words to show that there are a lot of of Old Testament prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in being from Nazareth. Jesus said, all the prophets and the law, they speak about me. And this is one of those examples. There's some mystery here about what exactly Matthew means. But there are a lot of different prophecies from the Old Testament that could be fulfilled in this. So, for example... The word for Nazareth shares the same root as the Hebrew word for branch. And in Isaiah 11, verse 1, Isaiah says, There shall come forth from a shoot, there, sorry, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Jesse was the father of King David the greatest king that Israel had in all of its history. And God had promised David, one day a king will come after you in your line who will reign forever. He will sit on his throne and his kingdom will have no end. One day, David, your family tree will bear amazing fruit. If you've been with us for our Advent series, we've been going through Jesus' family tree, and it is a tree that's full of rot and decay. A tree that's been ruined. But God promised there will be a branch that will bear much fruit. When people call Jesus a Nazarene, they wouldn't have necessarily meant it as a compliment. But any time they said, yet Jesus of Nazareth, they were unwittingly proclaiming the fact that the righteous branch had come and was about to bear much fruit. And being a Nazarene wasn't a compliment. In fact, when Jesus first began his earthly ministry, and Philip first met Jesus, he ran to tell his friend Nathaniel, Nathaniel, I found him. 
the one we've been waiting for for so long, the promised one, the Messiah, the anointed one. He's here, Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel goes, what good has ever come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was not a hubbub of activity. It wasn't a center of learning and arts and culture. It was a podunk, hick town that everybody kind of turned their noses up at. He shall be called a Nazarene. Isaiah also wrote in Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was a Nazarene, Jesus of Nazareth despised and rejected by the very people he came to save. More than that, at the end of his life, he would be despised and rejected by his Father in heaven as well. But before we come to that, there's one more possibility that Matthew's referring to when he said he will be called a Nazarene. Because there's one other word that shares that same root, is Nazareth. It's Nazarite. And a Nazarite was someone who took a vow to be especially set apart and holy to God. That's what Nazarite means, consecrated, made holy, set apart. And this was a person who went above and beyond to stay clean, to not become dirtied by the sins of this world. To be set apart for God for his specific work. And again, there's no Old Testament prophecy specifically saying Jesus would take a Nazarite vow. But I think it's biblical to say all Nazarite vows find their fulfillment in Jesus, the one who was ultimately set apart for God's work. And the thing I want to highlight about the Nazarite vow is actually how it would end. In number six, it lays out what the Nazarite was supposed to do when they had completed their time of being set apart for God. They would come to the temple and they would offer three different sacrifices. A burnt offering, a sin offering, and a peace offering. The burnt offering represented that God's people and their sacrifices, their offerings, were pleasing to him. Sin offering is just what it sounds like. This is an offering that paid the debt incurred by sin. And a peace offering celebrated the fact that God was at peace with his sinful people. Jesus was set apart, holy, he was consecrated for the work the Father had set for him. And when he came to the end of his life, he was the ultimate sacrifice himself. 
He offered himself up as a burnt offering. We are all sinners. We are all born with Adam and Eve's sin inside of us. There's nothing we could do to make ourselves pleasing to God because everything had been infected by our sin. But he has offered himself as sacrifice and we can be pleasing to God in him. He is the ultimate sin offering. There need be no other offering after him. The debt has been fully paid. And he is the peace offering. He is victorious over sin and death and the grave and the devil. He has crushed the head of the serpent. So there's peace now between God and his people. We've come here this evening to celebrate the birth of Christ. That's more than just simply a celebration of a beautiful little baby boy. It's more than just celebrating family and friends and love. It's celebrating the fact that God has kept his promises. That the promised offspring has come and has crushed the head of the serpent. That we who were once at war with God, alienated from God, dead in our trespasses and our sins, are at peace with him. Because Christ has come and he has fulfilled all of the promises the Father has made. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have come. We thank you that you have kept all of the promises that God has made. And Lord, you have promised that you are coming back. And we know with confidence that you will because you've already kept all of the promises made so far. Lord Jesus, we worship you because you were born a man so that you could die in our place. We worship you for that. We come before the Father with nothing but you and what you've done for us. In your name, amen. We're going to sing Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And then after that, uh, Lovey's going to start playing Silent Night, and we're going to start lighting the candles. Um, I'll come up and light mine, and then I'll come to each section and light somebody's candle. Quick note, when you're lighting, the person who has a lit candle should leave theirs upright, and the unlit candle should come over. That way you don't spill wax all over each other. <laughs> we'll light all the candles, we'll sing Silent Night, and we'll end with that. Uh, once we're done singing... You can blow out your candles and you can head outside and enjoy the rest of your Christmas with your family.